I guess all businesses are, the way I've always said it, completely different and exactly the same. In other words, you could have different products, different services, different ideas, different markets, different demographic, different niches, all this stuff. And for better or for worse, at every level you experience some of the same challenges. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Entrepreneur. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you on the podcast. And really, you know, I love doing uh, interactive forms of content because I feel like it it reminds me that this is a conversation and it reminds you that this is a conversation. Uh, I don't just speak to hear myself speak. I am having a conversation that's admittedly mostly me, but also you in the comments, in my email, in the DMs, and also when we when we uh, air back your questions on the air. So that's what these Saturdays are for. Saturday Q&A is what we have in store for you today. We're going to answer some questions on, uh, on business and life. And uh, before we do that, make sure you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, and of course, make sure you're on our email list as well. And that's at newwaveentrepreneur.com. You can get on our email list. We'll, we'll email you and update you when the new podcast episodes come out. We also have all this new stuff coming out, workshops. Uh, we have some free guides that we're giving out on that site. So make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. Thank you so much for all the love you've been giving the show. I've been seeing all the love on, on Instagram as well. You can follow us at New Wave Entrepreneur Podcast on Instagram. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you for helping me build this thing up. I'm having a lot of fun doing it and we have so much in store for you. Uh, you know, years ago I made a video and it was about uh, Tupac died at 25 and working with urgency and, you know, not letting a, a second slip away where you're not working on the thing that is really important to you. And um, it's been really cool to see uh, that as I've started to get back into my groove of creating content, people are here to support it, which means that you guys, you know, are here to, to, to uh, care about the same things I do. And that's dope, man. Um, so that's why I love doing these shows. Let's talk about it. We'll dive right into today's episode. I have two questions that stood out to me in the inbox today, and I wanted to go into them with some specific stories on my end. And the first one is coming from Josh in Ohio. And he said, Hey, Daniel, I've always heard the phrase, quote, it's not about who you know, it's about what, or I'm sorry, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And I've always been curious about networking. How do I level up my friend group and start meeting people who are driven and ambitious like me? Uh, first, Josh, thank you for the question, man. And that is a great question. I have found throughout my life that networking has been a strong sort of mine. And I don't necessarily think of it as networking. I think of it as building uh, layers of friends and, and different uh, degrees of friendships with a lot of people. Now, I think that there is a certain personality trait, um, first and foremost, to networking. I, I think that it will be more comfortable for some than others. I think that for the extroverted personality types, it is probably easier. And if you don't know what, what your personality type is, maybe you should take a, you know, a look at it. You can go to 16personalities.com, which is a free site, which will give you your Myers-Briggs personality test uh, score. 
And it will tell you a little bit about, you know, what some of your drives are, what your motivations are, how you like to handle problems, how you think about things, and give you some examples of maybe ways you'll, you've behaved in, behaved in the past and give you some ideas about how to, you know, work on yourself. But either way, I think networking is a bit easier for extroverts, but it's not impossible or doesn't have to be necessarily hard for people who are considered introverted. It's just something about how you're looking at the world. The way I think about it is, when I go throughout my world and, and, I, and I have experiences with people, I try to keep in contact with those that uh, I have a good interaction with. And it doesn't always mean that I am getting everyone's phone number all the time, uh, but I, I tend to um, I tend to keep in contact with people uh, well throughout the years, so that every year I'm making a few a few friends based on things I'm doing in my life. And the things I'm doing are usually projects that. Uh, that are important to me. And so I meet most of my connections and my network through projects I'm working on. And that would be my number one piece of advice to you, uh, Josh, is that you need to work on projects that are important to you. And through those projects, you will find people who are of your same caliber and who are um, willing and ambitious to and ready to work on stuff. So for instance, when I moved to Atlanta in I think 2010, around 2009, 2010, I knew that I was interested in starting my career in filmmaking and I didn't have much experience. I had some experience acting and some experience creating some different projects, but nothing really substantial. And when I got there, I started to just throw my hat in the ring, so to speak, in different film projects. They had one film project called the 48 hour film festival or the 48 hour film project. And basically it's just a, a community organized event where you meet people for the first time, you get together, you make a movie on whatever equipment that you have and you show it and it has to be done in two days. And, um, you know, it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool because it's a, it's a fast experience. It get, I don't even remember the movie that we made. I mean, but it's, it's a fast experience. Uh, you meet people who you would have never normally been a part, uh, you know, of their world and you, you build some sort of uh, project, which is fun. And, and going back to my experience, I don't even remember the exact group that, uh, that was that that I had. I don't even remember the project that we made. I only remember a few of the people um, that were in my group, and one of those uh, ended up being a producer that I worked with later in my career. And so I just I recognize how things connect. And as I went through my my time in Atlanta, I started working on film projects that weren't funded by any type of uh, big uh, company. I made my own stuff up. I I raised money on a on a Kickstarter and a GoFundMe to do a film project. And that allowed me to meet people who were also acting and producing and uh, developing their creative you know, identities and bring them together. And then I got to develop a leadership role with that project because I was the one producing the film. And so I met music producers and actors and people who ended up being friends of mine. And then I built my experience around working on a few projects over the years with these people. And then, you know, even up until uh, recently, still working with some of the people who I met through the projects that I de developed in Atlanta. And I've gone throughout my life uh, and my career doing projects like that all throughout this time and then making friendships along the way. And I feel, I feel like that's the most important thing to think about. People don't just come into your life and say, hey, you know, how can I help you? Everyone's looking for something mutual they can get from an experience. It's not always money, but they're looking for something from an experience or they're looking for some sort of collaboration or some sort of, some sort of mutual effort that you guys are going to do on, undertake together. And I recommend that you you do something called what I, what I refer to as the big project. And I actually am going to talk about this in a Mindset Monday coming up. But the idea of the big project is figuring out what it is that you like to do and 
working on that for an extended period of time just to get really good at it and just to develop a skill. And so it could be, um, like I mentioned, filmmaking. And, and the big project has to result in a sort of payoff. There has to be some sort of uh, output to it. So if it's filmmaking, you have to have a film and submit it somewhere. It could be like to a film festival. It could be that you want to get really good at speaking a foreign language. So you learn that language and then you travel to the country where it's natively spoken. It could be that you really want to develop an athletic skill and then you compete in that sport. But these are big projects in my eyes. They start with a personal drive, a personal passion. They, uh, they usually create some sort of community for you and other people who are doing the same thing. Try to pick things that have natural communities baked into them, whether they're virtual or IRL. I, I recommend IRL sometimes if you can get that. Virtual is great, but it doesn't quite give the same zing. And um, and and then work on those projects with people who can support you, who are just as committed to it as you are. You know, in entrepreneurship, that could mean starting a startup or starting some sort of cause or contributing to a cause. Those are the, the business equivalents of this. But I would recommend you work on a big project and find people that way. All of my things that I've done in life have been through working on projects that I have either spearheaded and, and led myself because I've seen throughout my life that oftentimes people are waiting for a voice. They're waiting for leadership. I can even remember in elementary school, I was <laughs> I started a petition for uh, better school lunches, you know, and Obviously, at that time, there's no understanding of, well, this is just the, the lunches that the whole county has and we're not going to change the food. Obviously, I didn't have those types of considerations. I thought this food is not healthy. It's not good for me. It doesn't taste good. I don't want to eat it. And I don't think the other kids do either. And so I went around and I made a petition and then I presented that petition to, petition to the uh, principal and the vice principal. And they had a nice little meeting with me. And it was more of a PR stunt, I think, on their part. And I was on Oh, maybe fourth grade at the very most. So they couldn't say much or do much to appease me. I was a very staunch uh, critic. But at the same time, it, it got me going. It got me realizing, oh man, like people will, they'll respond. I think I had maybe 150 signatures. So I was going around on the playground and asking people, you know, will you sign this? This is the, the campaign that I'm working on. What do you think about this? In fact, looking back on my behavior at that time, it, it really shows you how a personality and perhaps a personality type like 16 personalities, Myers-Briggs, can indicate someone's behavior and trajectory throughout their whole life. If you were to look at that behavior as with me as a kid, you might think that person's going to be some sort of like politician or public speaker. Well, it's not too far off. I'm here podcasting for you. So <laughs> I don't know, call, call it as you will. But either way, I think that there is a power in leading others because most people are waiting for leadership and most people don't want responsibility. That is something you need to realize. Most people will throw responsibility off faster than a cold, wet towel. You know, no one wants to really take responsibility because it means that you can be blamed for things. It means you have to get up in the middle of the night. It means you have to, you know, answer the phone. It means you have to endure the criticism. But it also means that you get to enjoy the upside, potentially, depending on what you're leading. <laughs> but that's the key as well. You get to really enjoy and control your destiny, enjoy the upside and control your destiny, really, when you are a leader. And that's what I admire about leadership, not just obviously in myself, but in the leaders that I have studied. And so I think leading something is a great way to network because when you are the center of the hub, others have to refer to you as a reference point. And I can think about even my friend, uh, Mark Clennon, who's now I can say without irony, one of the, the best fashion photographers in the United States, if not uh, the one of the best in the world, certainly one of the best editorial uh, photographers 
Um, and we grew up together, you know, best friend. And uh, when he went to New York uh, for the first time, he moved there. One of the things he started doing when he touched down was he started doing these things called photo walks, where basically he would get together with other photographers in the city and he would create like a WhatsApp group. And then whenever there were things coming through, um, he would let the group know. He would give, you know, notes on notifications on different jobs that were coming through on the WhatsApp. They would organize different free photo shoots and go around the city and do work. But he just became known as someone who was like out there in the city making it happen, like doing good photography, putting it online. Uh, organizing groups, organizing shoots, and you know, jobs started to come to him. People started to ask him for more of his work. Obviously, he was getting a lot of reps in, and that's really important. But I think it's the idea of like, okay, I'm going to lead something. I'm going to kick something off here. Uh, the network people don't normally ask to be. To, they don't. They don't. People who are doing important things, and I, I don't say important as a moral judgment, as um, like my work is more important than your work. But people who are doing things that are important to them, like personally important projects or things that are like really difficult to do. They don't look for others who, uh, who haven't taken leadership usually to bring into their circle it, because it's, it's hard to find people sometimes who aren't in leadership positions or who don't take an, an initiative. It doesn't mean you need to be a manager or a boss, but it just means that you need to show that you can uh, step up and organize something. And I think that has been something that has been uh, a defining characteristic for me, even thinking about in college, you know. When I went overseas, they asked, you know, would you like to get a, a discount on your tuition for being an RA, which is a resident advisor? I'm like, sure, let me be the leader. You know, let me stand up, let me step up. And it hasn't always been easy. You know, I'll usually raise my hand if someone asks me first, you know, or if someone asks me in a question in the room, I'll try to raise my hand first. Uh, it doesn't always make it easy, but at least it kind of relieves the pressure of having to think about if they're going to call on you. And um, usually people, yeah, they just look up to people who the, who, who are brave enough to, to answer the call. And so I think that is an important piece of networking. Another piece of networking too is connecting, connecting the people you know with each other. So I'm always introducing friends to each other. And I can think of many of many people who have formed a relationship because of me and then they've built their own very deep friendship off of it, uh, off of either a primary connection I've given or a secondary connection. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just telling you what I do. And that I think people really appreciate because they'll trace back their friendships to the person that introduced them. So, you know, whenever you can try to involve people who are from your groups of things you're working on with, you know, each other in uh, dinners or uh, create events, put things on. I've always put on uh, dinners for people. They don't need to be expensive, by the way. You don't need to spend tons of money, but I put on dinners. Um, I host things. I'm always hosting events. And that really helps to bring people together. And also people see you as a center of the group. It's just a networking, uh, you know, hierarchy that we have in our brain. And I'm not thinking, about, oh, this is a great way to network, but it's just something that is a result. And I like doing it. That's, so that's important. Um, bringing people together, make, introducing people, making friends. You can introduce people via email as well. Especially if you listen to your friends, you realize what types of projects they have going on and you say, oh, this person I'd help you with that. And you just make a mutual introduction. And, uh, you know, oftentimes you can make some really good friends through mutual introductions. I know some of the introductions I've had from others who've made introductions for me have been the closest friendships that I've had to date. So you're doing people a favor by making them introductions. Another thing I'll add too is that I have strategically made moves in my life and my career to get closer to the center of action until recently. <laughs> uh, and I find that that is a good strategy for networking. You know, I moved from Florida to Atlanta, which was 
in a an effort to get closer to the film industry in Atlanta was and is still an adjacent film industry, kind of a secondary market, but they have a lot of money out there because of the tax advantages, tax credits. And I know that they have good agencies out there that feed out to LA and New York. So I wanted to go out there and check out the scene. And also I knew they had affordable living, but it was closer than Florida for the most part to what I wanted to do. And I, so I got out there. And then from Atlanta, we moved from Atlanta to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is an even closer step, not really just to film, which by the time I had moved out to LA, I wasn't so much going into film. Although one of my first projects I worked on in LA, I call it a project because I wasn't really a job, uh, was hosting a, um, a, a television show. Uh, that I did for a season in Los Angeles, which was a kind of a coincidence, but I got that through networking. And that's the point. I moved uh, closer and closer to where the action was. And, and you know, something to note is, Josh, you're talking about um, talking about Ohio and I, I have nothing against Ohio. So it's, again, nothing about that. But it's like you got to go where the action is. If you want to, for instance, uh, meet other people in a certain type of industry, you have to be around where the industry is. If you want to meet people in business, well, then you have to go where business is. And it doesn't mean there's not business in Ohio, but we know that there are thriving industries in, um, you know, in uh, bigger cities. And even after the pandemic, I think a lot of people would say, well, you don't need to be uh, in a specific location because the pandemic has proven that it's it's all, um, you know, it's all digital. I think that's true. However, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and say, Location still does matter and uh, for several reasons, not only for the quality of people that you'll meet potentially, but also for specific personal preferences depending on where you want to live and what the, the world is like over there. So for instance, you know, living in Florida might not be great for maybe the acting industry if that's where you want to be. But if you want to be in the crypto space, it could be great because the, a lot of crypto is moving to Miami and they have better tax regulations. So it's like looking at where your industry is and where it's going and then moving to that location so that you're where the action is. You know, if they, by all means, if your industry is in Toledo, then be in Toledo, but don't expect to be in the film industry, but live in Ohio and wonder why you're not getting booked. You know, it's just, it's just something to think about. So there's that. And then another thing I'd say too is constantly, I don't know. How, okay. So a hack for this is building a platform. You can meet a lot of people by interviewing them. And not everyone's going to want to start a podcast like what I'm doing, but I can tell you that some of my deepest relationships have been formed through meeting them and just having a conversation with them that was two hours or an hour. Because most of the relationships that we have uh, are surface level and we don't get a chance to really dive into people and ask them about their lives. It's kind of like surface level interactions. And people, myself included, I say people, it includes me, we love talking about ourselves. We love to talk about our story. And if you can start a podcast, it doesn't need to be something that you're going to try to create, you know, a mass audience, but just something for you that's fun and you target a specific type of person or guest, you'd be surprised who will come onto your show and share their story. And through that as a vehicle, you can meet quite a lot of people. And I can trace many of my friendships directly and indirectly through my first show, The Rich 27 Podcast, which turned into The Daniel DiBiaza Show. We ran that for 100 episodes over four years from 2015 to 2019. And now we're officially on episode 51 of The New Wave Entrepreneur. And we've done that only in uh, five months or less. So we've done over half of what we did in four years in about five months. So we are churning. That's how quick we're going. But uh, all that to say that 
um, that first, really the first 100 episodes, I would say contributed significantly to the relationships I built. From those 100 episodes, I have uh, business partnerships, clients, friendships, and experiences. And I recommend that you do the same. So that's just another recommendation as well in networking. There's lots of ways to network. You don't need to be like me to do it successfully. You don't need to be uh, like anybody else but yourself. I'd recommend that you read, oh boy, I think there's one called Mastermind Dinners uh, by Jason Gaginard, which is a, a fantastic book on just creating uh, intimate experiences. I'd recommend that you read uh, simple things like How to Win Friends and Influence People. I know it sounds uh, very old school, but Dale Carnegie really did know what he was talking about. Um, I'd recommend that you uh, that you keep good records of who you meet as well. Like what I will do on a regular basis is I will scroll through my. I will make sure that I capture a lot of the people that I meet. And when, we, when we're going out, uh, when I'm when I'm having uh, dinners with people, I'll make sure that I get phone numbers. I'll get emails, um, and I will scroll through my phone on a pretty regular basis, and I will just touch base with people. And that is a note that I've gotten from many of my friends that I think stands out and they say, you know, one thing you're really good at is you, you stay in touch. And I think that's important. Uh, Brett Jones said this recently on the podcast. He said that the new currency is relationships. And he says that he knows if he lost everything tomorrow, you know, he has relationships with people and they would, they would back him up because of all the, the love and the effort and energy he's given back to his community over the, over the years. And he's given so much that he's built up that storage of that battery of love almost. Uh, and I feel like that too about my network as well. So we can talk more about networking. This has been something that has been uh, useful to me. I will say too that uh, the last thing I'll say about networking is you never know the chain of events that it can lead to. The 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 story of me moving to LA is very strange um, in some aspects of it. On the way to LA, you know, in the weeks leading up to LA, I was on a website that I had I just stumbled on via Google and it was a website called The Art of Charm. And this website was all about just like uh, basically like pickup, but not really, not really pickup because I was, I was, you know, with Sarah at that time. It was more about like psychology for, uh, for men and, um, and just how to get good with women and just, you know, just like man skills. And I was on that website and, uh, they had a little chat bot and, um, and partially I was on the site looking for just like, how are they doing their info products? So this is maybe about 2013. And I was just realizing that info products were a thing I could become good at and potentially have a career with. And uh, the chat box popped up and it seemed to be a real person named Jordan. And uh, I, I was surprised it wasn't just a robot, but it popped up and apparently there was someone actually manning the chat bot and we started talking. Their name was Jordan. I came to find out it was Jordan Harbinger. And he said something at the time that was strange. He's like, yeah, I'm on my way to North Korea right now. So, I'll, you know, I can't talk now. But when I get back later, you know, we can follow up. And he was following up with me because they had a program, uh, which is a boot camp. And Art of Charm puts together uh, these boot camps. These, these, they did at the time these boot camps uh, for, um, for personal development skills for men, basically. And uh, so he was going to follow up with me from a sales capacity, but I was like, wow, I just met someone that was pretty cool and they're going to North Korea. That's interesting. They run a, they run this website. That's interesting. I had no idea, you know, what any of this stuff was about. Fast forward, you know, to maybe a year and a half later, I get to LA and I don't know anybody in LA, but I have been writing online for a while since I'd been in Atlanta, maybe about 18 months. And I had a website with some following and a little bit of pull with this website called Under 30 CEO which had a substantial following at that time, a substantial email list and traffic. This is about 2014. And, or well, actually probably, probably end of 13. 
And uh, I moved out there and I, I emailed Jordan. I said, hey, you know, we talked a while back and I'm out here now. I've been writing online. I see that you guys are also online and that you have Art of Charm stuff. And maybe maybe I could introduce you to my friend, Under 30 CEO, and uh, you guys could do some content together to promote the AOC brand and I could make an introduction for you. And that would be cool. And I just offered to do that via email, you know. Jordan agreed to that. And I said, you know, while you're at it, I have some other ideas for content too. And we just moved to LA. You know, I see that you're in LA. Um, if you want, we can get some sushi. That would be dope. And he was down for that. And that's another thing too, I would say, you know, he could have certainly said no. And, you know, he goes, oh, I'm too much of a big time podcaster. I certainly can't afford to spend time with you. But he didn't. And and he accepted. And it was because of the fact that, one, I'd already done something for him. And it wasn't that he wouldn't have maybe met with me otherwise. But I think that there was some value shown. And he had successfully created some content with Under 30 CEO. So I had proven to be uh, like a reliable source, or at least they were, or at least the introduction had been made. I don't know if the content had come out, but the introduction had been made. So I'd proven to be a reliable source. And of course, my thinking is, well, they're going to want to promote their brand. Maybe we can come up with some ideas. I have a website too I'm building. Maybe we can do something. And so anyway, I went with Jordan. Uh, we we kicked it off. You know, he was really cool. Um, I remember he was wearing, I think, like a, a plaid shirt. Um, and I thought this dude's pretty cool. He had a cool fade. And I liked his podcast. And we met at this, uh, this sushi place in Hollywood. It was my first time. I was very green in LA. I was living in Redondo Beach at the time with Sarah and uh, we had no furniture. Uh, and, and, um, from that dinner, uh, or, or that, that quick lunch, actually, um, I think it was, I think it was by the, I think it was by the Beverly Center, actually. From that quick dinner, or that, from the quick lunch, uh, a few things came. The first was he introduced me to his friend, Gabe Mizrahi, Gabriel Mizrahi, who I think still does a co-hosting, uh, who I think still co-hosts one episode a week with Jordan on that show. But Gabe uh, is a screenwriter. And at that time, he was also a writer. And him and Jordan had a, a business where they were doing a, a tourism business in North Korea, which is a whole different story. Maybe we can talk about it at some point. But he introduced me to Gabe. And Gabe at that time was doing an interview, an interview show on a network called The Lip TV, which had a studio in Beverly Hills. And through my connection with Gabe, uh, eventually I was able to get on uh, and become a producer and um, and uh, like an on-screen talent at that television network, at that streaming television network. And through that network, I was able to meet tons of different um, actors and celebrities and just different you know, porn stars and all these just weird, weird, crazy shit. And through that, I also met my friend Stephen Key, who is a best-selling author and um, a prolific inventor. And I interviewed him for the first time. We kicked it off and he introduced me over time to my agent. My agent helped me get the book. You know, the story goes on and on. But the whole point is this came from me making a few a few moves to meet someone who I didn't normally know, who, who I wouldn't have known uh, and get out of my comfort zone. It happened to work out with, with Jordan. And so it's not like something that I'm saying you can replicate, but I'm saying more likely than not, when you meet someone and you're networking, not even if you're thinking that you're networking, you're just building relationships with people, the connections will be greater than you might expect. And so there's always a value in a relationship. And I look at my friendships and my relationships as the most valuable thing in my life. I, I, it sounds kind of weird, I know, but I look at them almost like, like if I had a jewelry box and all of my friendships are like a unique jewel that has a value to me. And not like I'm trying to extract cash, like a cash value, but like a, like a personal value, an emotional value, a social value. 
That's just always the way I've seen it. And it, seem, it seems to be serving me well. So that's how I look at networking. Kind of a long-winded response, but it's the real response. So hope you enjoyed that answer. And that's what I got for you, Josh. Okay, I want to move on to the next question. This next one is from Hoseline. Hoseline in Barcelona. Or Barcelona. Barcelona. My teacher in, uh, in high school, um, Mr. Simora. Iliodoro Simora was from Barcelona. And man, he had an amazing accent. And he would just chain smoke the fuck out of cigarettes in between class. Uh, he was such a cool guy. So she said, hey, Daniel. Uh, hola, Daniel. After lockdown last year, I realized I wanted to leave my job, but I'm still unsure what I want to do. What are some of the best business ideas for somebody who is still new to entrepreneurship? Okay, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, thank you for the question, Joseline. Muchas gracias. And this is a good question because I think a lot of people want to know uh, what types of ideas are great for side hustles and what types of ideas are great for uh, transitioning into um, into like making a real business. So let me run down a couple ideas for you. Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind for me is that there are multiple different types of businesses to start. And I guess all businesses are, the way I've always said it, completely different and exactly the same. In other words, you could have different products, different services, different ideas, different markets, different demographic, different niches, all this stuff. And for better or for worse, at every level, you experience some of the same challenges, whether it's like just understanding how to find your target market or getting the product to actually fit the market or delivering it or money stuff or administrative stuff, staff. I mean, it's, it's all the same problems at different levels. But right now, your question is just, you don't want to be in your job anymore. What should you do? Well, a couple of things to think of. One, it's do you want to start a product or, or, or service? You know, Or what type of business do you want to start, a product or a service? They both have the unique challenges. I have typically always advocated uh, for service business to come first because or for, for you to start a service business first because it's usually the lowest cost because all it's going to cost is your time. And in terms of advertising yourself, you can do it pretty well online for free. And a lot of, a little money goes a long way. And it's fairly easy to charge enough to make it worth your time if you do it right. So there are a lot of benefits to starting with a service business. I will talk more about what that can look like in a minute. The second idea would be a product-based business. So this is not selling your time, but this is selling a physical product or a digital product, perhaps. And those each have their own individual challenges. So what do you want to do? Let's start with service. Let's talk, let's talk about service and we'll break it down for a bit. These are all the things that that you can do with your time and how you can basically productize your time because essentially that's what you're doing. When you are delivering a service, you're essentially productizing your time. So if I am a personal trainer and I am training you live at the gym, the time I'm spending with you as I'm coaching you through the exercises, as I'm teaching you about what to do, I am selling you my time as a, as a product. And that product, the result is what I'm selling you essentially. I'm selling you a better body. I'm selling you tighter abs. I'm selling you healthier life. So I'm selling my time and you're, that's what you're buying. You're essentially buying the, the product of a healthier you. And it works really well because people want results. They don't want to do it themselves. They need help. Probably in every field, there's something you can do because someone doesn't want to do it themselves or they need help or they're unsure. 
For me, that started as an SAT test prep instructor. You know this if you know my story. Um, I was always pretty good at taking standardized tests, so I knew that was a skill set. But in college, I got I got hired by a, a company called Kaplan, which gave me the instruct uh, the teacher's instruction. So I learned how to teach this stuff. And from that, I thought, oh, there's a, there's a market for this. And I saw that the families I was working with were getting charged upwards of $100 an hour for me to be there. And I was only making 20 bucks an hour. So it was just do the math. And I started charging 100 bucks an hour and building up my skill set that way. You know, and, and then very quickly, your skill set becomes something that's livable, you know, and you didn't need too many clients. You know, and I was really actually charging only about 60 to $80 an hour because I was undercutting Kaplan using my skill set. And I knew that what parents wanted, you know, and I knew, I knew how to, how to market myself. But that's a skill set that I had that was based on interest. And then I developed a skill around that interest. For you to develop your skill set, you need to develop a skill and then an interest or, or I'm sorry, an interest and then a skill. An interest is something that you uh, genuinely like. And then a skill is something that you're, you're good at uh, that creates a result. So it's like, I'm interested in fitness the skill of training is the result, you know, or is what creates the results that people will pay for. Uh, I'm interested in, um, I'm interested in, I don't know, chess and I coach chess and I create the result of better chess players. People want to buy, people want to pay for that. They want to buy for that. Parents want to, want to, want to pay for that. And so, I don't know, this is, this is just some way of thinking about business. There's lots of books out there. I recommend mine, obviously, Rich 20 something is, uh, is a great way of thinking about business. I put all my ideas for uh, for skill-based business ideas. Plus, you know, I talk about info products. And I talk about just all the stuff it takes to start a business from nothing. Other books? Hmm. 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 What other books do I recommend? I'd recommend you you read Built to Sell by John Warlow. W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. That's a really good one on uh, creating a product-based or productized service. So that book is all about taking an idea that you have and making a business that sells a service and building something that you can eventually sell. So selling a service-based business, which is the next level of thinking about a service-based business. But what I like about that book is that it will teach you how to, how to systematize your business a bit more, uh, especially as a service-based business. So pick up my book, pick up John Warlow's book. Okay, let's talk about products. So you said you want to start a business. Service-based is good. Oh, by the way, I have a whole course on this with Founder. I probably should mention Start Your Side Hustle. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, I don't mean to hawk my ship, but it's like what I've been talking about. So uh, how else can I you know, explain it? But what I've already done, I'll put that in the links as well. Um, but there's also product-based business, um, wholesaling. And first, there's e-commerce. Now, what are the downsides and upsides of e-commerce versus uh, service-based? Well, with service-based, like I said, easy to start. Pretty much no overhead. You can do it on your computer. Usually you can get clients online. You can find people to, to work with. You know, when it comes to creating a product, you're going to have to develop the product. You're going to have to create a prototype of some sort. If it's a physical product, you'll have to produce it and you'll have to store it and you'll have to sell it. And so those are the, the, the obstacles of that business model. And that right there stops a lot of people because it takes some funding. Doesn't have to take a lot, but we'll take some funding up front. Usually, uh, you can always produce stuff after it's been ordered, and that's certainly a strategy. But typically, you're gonna there will be some points in, of putting money in, especially if you're talking, you know, selling a physical product. 
a lot of times people run ads, even though ads right now aren't doing amazing on Facebook from what I understand. Uh, people are still going to run ads, especially on YouTube, like e-commerce and, and paid ads go together and you'll usually have to spend some money. So if it's not our product development, which it probably still will be, there'll, there'll probably be ads as well. And, but the upside of developing a product is once you get a product up and running and that thing has hit its target market, it just sells. You know, uh, as we developed Strength of Seduction, which is one of my product lines I've developed, it's a couple's workout brand and we sell DVDs, books, and other fitness gear. And um, when that thing is cranking, man, and we're making sales, you know, and we're especially, there are some hot periods in e-commerce where you really sell a lot more than others. And at least it's been my experience. When you're making sales in and out every single day, multiple times per day, multiple times per hour, almost on the minute, it starts to get pretty uh, pretty fun. Let me just put it that way. And that's because a product doesn't require your time to be able to fulfill it. And so essentially the scale is limitless. The, the limitation on a service-based business is ultimately your time or someone else's time, um, whether it's an employee that you hire or, or whoever else. It requires in-person or digital help of some type of uh, you know, attention, but, but a product is infinite. A product can be sold and made. A widget can be produced. And, you know, we, when we sell our DVDs, which by the way, don't laugh, DVDs still sell. Surprisingly enough, I can't believe it, but it's true. The DVDs are just created on a disc and we just shit them out basically. You know, as many as are ordered is the amount we can produce. And we have them, we have them back, we have them in, uh, in back stock. So if we get an, a surplus, we can service the order, but physical products are awesome when you can figure out the formula and uh, even more successful than, than we've been with our stuff. Uh, I have several friends who have really crushed it in e-commerce. One of my friends who's actually going to be on the, on the podcast uh, later in this coming week, his name is Chris Stoikos. He has a brand or he had a brand. Uh, he was uh, the founder of a brand called uh, Beard Club, The Beard Club. And uh, this was a brand that was worth tens of millions of dollars and uh, was all just beard oils for men. And the way that he positioned it was so genius because he was selling not the beard oil, but the identity of manhood through his viral and insanely funny commercials. So um, actually, you'll you'll hear more about him in this coming week. But that's an example of a product that just sells like hotcakes. You know, even in this uh, this upcoming couple of podcasts we have coming up my uh, my new friend James Lindsay is the is the founder of rap snacks which is a food product brand uh, that that marries hip-hop artists with snack foods and he sold hundreds of millions of units you know and that's only possible through a product that can be replicated at scale and so that really uh, that really that really allows maximum profits to be made so that's the benefit of product. Uh, based businesses. Now, on the side of product-based businesses, there's also digital products, which for the most extent, uh, to, or to, to, for the most part, does kind of combine the best of both worlds, or the best of all worlds, because it's a product that can be sold where it doesn't require your time, but it also doesn't require too much overhead, supposedly. So if you require, if you have a digital product, uh, like you sell a course or you even have a SaaS, which is a software as a service, which is a digital product essentially, uh, like an app or a software, it, it doesn't cost, I'm hesitating because it doesn't have the same overhead as a physical product, but I think it is kind of a misnomer to say that digital products have no overhead for sure. They definitely have overhead. As you use the products more, as you create more bandwidth with certain products that you've, you're using, I, I, I like for instance, we have an app for strength of seduction and 
there are definitely expenses you know, involved in maintaining the app and it's not necessarily cheap. So, but at the same time, it's much more cost effective than, than, than let's say mailing out that many DVDs or God forbid VHS tapes. Remember those back in the day to as many subscribers as we have on the app. So it's more cost effective in that, in that way. And that's why, yeah, digital products are a uh, very good bang for your buck. And it's, um, it's pretty phenomenal what you can do with digital products. I know that I've made a lot of my, the money in my career selling just my information and from courses like my original freelance domination and start from the bottom and, you know, uh, automatic funnel formula. These are like rich 20 courses to, to other, you know, to other products. I've done collaborations with companies like founder, like creative live. These are all examples of selling information. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic lightweight way of making products. I would say, you know, the downside. There's not really a, there's not really a pronounced downside, you know, with, with services. The pronounced downside is the time it takes with products. The pronounced downside is the, is the overhead, the physical manufacturing, the space it takes up, the, the potential risk that all that incurs, the financial investment. You know, with digital products, I wouldn't say there's a, a necessarily a downside. There is the downside potential, downside, the risk of having yourself pirated or stolen, which does happen, but, I think that becomes less and less of a concern now as, as, as the world changes its perspective on content ownership. I don't think that people still see content as, as exclusive as they used to, but piracy is always an issue. And I think that there is the expectation of audiences that everything be cheaper now. I think that you can still sell courses at a premium and uh, I would still certainly consider buying courses at a premium and I know I can still sell courses at a premium. But I would say that generally speaking, the market probably doesn't view the value of information the same as they used to even 10 years ago because there's so much information now. And I would say courses that are $2,000 or $3,000, you know, in the past, you could have probably tried a lot a lot. It wouldn't have been as hard to sell a course for two or three thousand dollars. I think now it's harder to sell it because you have to really. It's not just about having high quality video footage. Before it was like, oh, this is all shot in HD. There are a lot of videos. You know, it has really great graphics. Like it looks really slick. Now it's less about that because everyone has access to like really nice looking stuff. It's like, you know, remember when HD video was a big deal, and now you just expect it to be HD. I think the course with courses, the information is what's the most important. You know, um, like for instance, this is kind of an off track example, but my wife. Uh, has done a couple classes at University of Oregon, which is primarily the reason why we moved to Oregon. And in, during COVID, when they weren't even doing in-person classes, um, she paid for two Zoom-based classes, uh, or, or I would say digitally recorded lecture-based classes, $12,000. $12,000. Now, I, I say digitally recorded because they weren't even Zoom classes. They weren't taught live. These were pre-recorded lecture courses. She, now, she didn't know that they weren't even going to be, they, that they weren't going to be live, but this is what she found out as soon as she was, uh, enrolled. So I think that's such trash. $12,000. That to me is robbery. Now, that is extremely overpriced, uh, information that I don't think nearly holds up its value. But even in the consumer product and, uh, when it comes to like business education, I think that you have to have a very strong offer for it to be worth that. And I think people now are looking also, not just for information, but experiences. We have a lot of information. What we're also looking to have as experiences, which is why, you know, when I launched this new program this year, which is called NWP, New Wave Protocol, I said, what are some experiences we can do? Because 
I have sold information for a long time. I know how to do that. I know it still works, but I can talk all day. I have information here that I'm giving you right now on this podcast. What I want to do is change your life and have an experience with you. So we do multiple different experiences throughout the year. We have a fight camp, which we just did last month, uh, where we taught everyone self-defense skills, fight skills. We had pregnant ladies out there. We had families out there. We had um, entrepreneurs, artists, people who are just in all walks of life, but really great people. Some of them have been, have been guests on the podcast. And then we're, we're going to have a, a uh, firearms training and tactical weekend with also emergency first aid. And uh, we're also going to have a spiritual retreat weekend. So all those go up in different locations. If you're interested in that, uh, well, get on my email list. Go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash NWP and you can learn more about it. But that's not really going to open up in for another month or so. So it's kind of like a low a low key preview. And if you've made it to this point in the podcast on Saturday, well, then you got the Easter egg. Anyway, uh, that's all I got for now, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and my my info. Oh, well, I want to tell you more, just a couple more things about about. Um, Starting, starting a business. One of the things you can do, and I highly recommend that you do, and I talked about this on an earlier episode with uh, someone, uh, I think it was Armand Asadi, is kind of like, kind of like looking at the trends that are happening and attaching yourself to the things that are working well, uh, loosely so that you can develop trends, so you can develop skills around things that are on the way up. So for instance, when I was building websites for the first time and I was developing my, uh, my web design skills, it was at a time right about 2011, 12, when WordPress was really taking off and people saw that web two, you know, website building skill as a, as a highly valuable skill. And I was able to translate that into building a nice, a nice side hustle that turned into a business. And what I see now is a similar thing happening with web three, where even if you don't want to become a Web3 developer, like I've talked frequently in the podcast about learning things like Solidity, which is a development language for smart contracts. Even if you don't want to do that, you can also be in a supportive role to the industry. So for instance, I think I've said this a few times, I don't know why I'm whispering now, but the New Wave podcast is going to appear in the metaverse and we are going to have episodes on a digital set that is a new wave set that's in development right now that's what we're working on and there are artists that are working on the set design of this digital stage which we're going to have a vr podcast experience and it made me think wow you know there are so many opportunities to make money off technology that's already happening so maybe the graphic designers who are already doing work for traditional graphic design can just change their focus a little bit to work on stuff in the metaverse because that is a field that's growing and expanding. It's on the new wave and you're already using most of your design skills. You're just you're just changing your focus and your attention. So that's another thing too. If you're already a business owner or you already have a skill, focus your skill on an area that is growing quickly and don't be afraid to evolve. You know, don't be afraid to, um, to, to continue to grow and, and stay current with the times. You know, you look at like, for instance, Snoop Dogg. I talk about him on podcasts sometimes. He's amazing because he started as just like, you know, just a regular, um, I mean, not regular, but he started off as a, um, as like just a, just a gangster rapper, you know, on the West Coast that could have stayed at that level and still have been known as that, but he's transcended that multiple times over by doing commercials and shows with Martha Stewart and making, you know, Bollywood shows and doing uh, all these different, you know, endorsement deals and by doing all new music throughout the years, like, you know, 10 plus 
albums and or probably more you know of reggaeton and rap and pop music and with all different artists and he's purposely like rebranded himself remade himself now with nfts he's like an nft whale he's in the metaverse like you know i think that's kind of amazing i think that's kind of like really uh being open to to staying current so you can do the same as a business owner. You can you can always repivot, especially if you're a service provider. Pivoting to help the markets that are already on the way up will keep you fresh and keep you current. And uh, you never want to die on the vine, you know. So anyway, those are my pieces of advice on starting a business, or if you already have one, improving it and making it uh, better with what's going on right now. And uh, and that's it, guys. Much love, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. You can check out newwaveentrepreneur.com to get all the updates. We're doing seven days a week now. This is something I've wanted to do for many years, and we finally figured out a system to get it done. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm very impressed by it. I think it's cool. And uh, tomorrow coming up is going to be an affirmation. I will do Sunday affirmation, and we'll kick off the week next week with Mindset Monday, and then get into a fresh week of interviews. So that's it. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So let's jump on in. Get ready to surf this new wave. Daniel out.